Hey. Hey, Regeroo. Ready to go? All right. <clears throat> Get the microphone all set here to the correct level. Well, I mean the level of my of my mouth. You are dealing with the levels, and I like where the levels are. They're right in the right spot there, so keep it right there. Good levels for today's show. Good levels. All right. We've got another uh, podcast number with a five or a zero on it, so that, that that's important, right? This is episode 315. How about that? Okay. Are you ready to go? I am. Well, then let's do it. I'll give you the three S's. You give me the music. I'll give you a podcast. What do you say? Put in the book, 315. Let's just get to it. All right. Here we go. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. But don't forget, listening ain't enough. you got to get out there and spread the word. Hit the streets. Take it to the streets. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. And it should be theirs, too. And don't forget, if you find this podcast on another platform, rate it and subscribe to it. This is an all-inclusive experience for the podcast listener. But, of course, your loyalty and devotion is always appreciated. If you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, hit the podcast prompt, and then hit the prompt for this podcast, Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. And you will find a supply chain's worth of podcasts waiting for you. And there's no delay in our, in our supply chain. They're all there just waiting for you. Our shelves are filled. No empty shelves. In the Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic previous podcast shelves. They're filled. So get out there. Indulge. There should be 314 in there. That's a pretty impressive number, which means today is episode 315. Welcome. What I'd like to talk about today is a project that I have been involved in for the last couple of months that will be running uh, for at least another week by the time this podcast posts. But uh, I always share things about my life and career and interests and hobbies and whatever you want to call it. And so uh, I think I should definitely mention this one, too, and tell you a little background and a little, hopefully some interesting little sidebar stories about it, because uh, it's something that I'm very proud of and I'm having a ball doing. If you uh, listen to the podcast or if you listen to me on the radio, over the last several years, you know that uh, in addition to doing radio, for almost the last 20 years, I've also been acting, and um, mostly in theater. I haven't done any other kind of projects. No films, no television. 
I've been on television. Never been in a film, though, but I've been on television, but as myself, not as a character. I've been interviewed quite a bit as part of the media, so I've been on television. But it's always been about me. I haven't been acting on television. But I have uh, acted extensively in the theater here in the Chicago area, both in the suburbs and the city, and both in amateur productions as well as professional productions. And that's what I'm doing right now and have been. uh, We opened in mid-May, but we started rehearsals back in the beginning of April. And I remember first auditioning for this part back in March. So this has been quite a... uh, an extensive involvement, but one that I must say is one of the most uh, satisfying, fun, uh, f- uh, fulfilling, um, learning experience, uh, it, you, you name it. It's, it's checked all the boxes, and so I thought I should tell you about it. If you are in the Chicago area, perhaps you, you would want to um, attend one of the performances. By the time this, uh, this uh, podcast posts, we still have four more shows left. I Maybe perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier, but um, there are a lot of other pressing things, and, and, and I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to sell tickets here more, so that's not the, uh, that's not the, uh, the motivation here. But I wanted to share this about you, uh, to, with you because there's some interesting little, little coincidences, and I always wonder, you know, isn't it funny how things happen sometimes, and... We put it down to fate and, you know, coincidence. And I'm always, you know, if you listen to me, I'm always a little very skeptical. I always question coincidences. A lot of times when there's a coincidence, if you you dig deep, you find that um, it wasn't a coincidence at all, that, that, that people were pulling some strings to make that coincidence, in quotes, happen. But in this case, there's a couple of, of odd coincidences that I certainly had no previous knowledge and or involvement in. And I can't think of anyone else who did either. So maybe sometimes there are just pure coincidences, and we just have to accept that. And uh, and sometimes things just happen. And, of course, look, I'm, I'm not... You know, some people are very religious or superstitious or spiritual or the universe, and, and that's great. I, I don't know how much of that I really believe in. Um, you know, there's a lot of people say, if you put that energy out into the universe or the universe was telling me something. Uh, at the end of the day, I, you know, this is not a, not to be, uh, you know, negative i'm not trying to be negative i'm just trying to as i said many times i've always been realistic and uh so i you know when we when we think that the universe is talking to us if you think about if you strip all that away it's really really kind of arrogant (laughs) to think that this vast universe and we you know and and now we've got these telescopes that are flying out to the the far reaches of the universe and the galaxy, and we're seeing all this, these amazing sights and these amazing realities that we never even existed. And just to show you how complex this, the universe and the galaxy and, and, and this whole thing that we're a part of is, it's, it's so crazy. And we really, when now that these telescopes are sending these pictures back, we, we have to realize how what a little, we're just a speck, a, a, a tiny speck. We're like an anthill 
you know, in your yard. Think of your yard, okay? How big your yard is. And every so often you'll be walking around and you see like a little ant colony. You lift up a rock perhaps or you see a little sand. And uh, there's a whole society of ants there going about their business, doing all their activities, doing what they have to do. And for the most part, in our whole yard, we don't even sometimes realize that they that those ant colonies were there and gone. And the more that we are exploring our universe, even though here on Earth we we still seem very oblivious to that. You know, science is making so many advances, especially you know with the capabilities that we have now to send these uh, these cameras and these satellites and. And these different transmission devices out into the far reaches of the galaxy. And they're bringing back pictures. You know, the, the big thing was the Hubble um, telescope several years ago. Now that's even being dwarfed by the, the newer technologies. And we're, we're getting back, but we don't even pay attention to it. Maybe it's just too big for us to grasp. You know, our brains it can only handle so much of re- what reality is. And, uh, but wow. But, you know, so we really are a speck. In, in the in the grand scheme of things, we, we certainly think that we are the most important things in the universe. But uh, when you start to get these pictures back of what's really out there, I mean, our planet isn't even that important in our solar system. When you look at Jupiter and you see the sun and and some of these other things, the Earth isn't even all that important in our own little tiny anthill of a solar system in the vast backyard that is the galaxy. And yet we think everything centers on us. So, hey, if, if, that's, if that allows us to get up every morning and, and feel that we can get through the day and get through our lives in a, in a good way, that more power to, to you, whatever it takes. We're seeing how difficult things are in today's world. And uh, it's, they're only getting more troubling as the days and weeks go by with all these different things, the the mass shootings and these and the elevated crime. You know, almost you know. What the sad part is, remember when you used to enjoy summer? Remember when you used to enjoy looking forward to summer? I I don't know if we I don't I don't I don't look forward to summer much anymore, because now when it gets when summer comes and the the weather gets warm, we have to be afraid of crime. That's all you hear about now. Remember, you used to look forward to a, to a three-day holiday? You look forward to the summer? Well, now hot weather and days off make you want to fear for what's going to happen. There's going to be riots and crime and shootings. I don't know what the hell's going on here anymore. But, uh, but so whatever you, can, whatever you need, whatever you use to get through your day, to, to look on an optimistic view and have fun, I say do it. Whether it's religion, whether it's spirituality, whether, whatever it is, whatever you use, whatever you need, I say more power to you. Just respect mine. I respect yours, so you respect mine, even if ours aren't the same. That's all I ask. But... Um, but back to coincidences and back to my acting. Wow. 
Talk about I, I went in, I went into I went into the galaxy. Talk about now that was really a tangent. I, I went off I went into outer space on that tangent. <laughs> but I told you I'll come back. I come back to the main topic. So yes, I've been uh, for the last last twenty years. I've been acting, and um, I thought I, it would be fun to share some of the background on that and and some of the stories behind it. Um, and some of the, the, the acting experiences that I've had because I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, I don't, I, I always, st- even though I've been acting for 20 years, I still find it strange to be referred to as an actor. And maybe it's just because in my mind, you know, I haven't been on, you know, in a film or a television uh, you know, you, you think of actors, you think of, uh, you know, Broadway and movies and television or even here in the Chicago area, you know, some of the more prominent theaters like the Goodman or the Steppenwolf and things like that. And I haven't I haven't I haven't been in any of those. So so maybe if, if the day ever comes when I get that opportunity, then maybe I will consider myself an actor. But I'll tell you, I have to tell you for the first time. I've really felt like that in this play that I'm doing currently. And maybe that's just my own insecurity or not other people. What are you talking about? You know, you've been in, I've, I've been in close to 50 plays. So I would think that, yeah, I think most people would say that's, that, 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 um, that qualifies you as an actor. And I've, you know, I've been in some professional plays where I've been paid and we've had long runs and we've been at, you know, I've, I've been at some, relatively prominent theaters but not you know like the the big stages as you would say and i said i've also done you know amateur community theaters well i i've i've always i've gone to where the roles are you know i i've never really i haven't i i've 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 never pursued it as a profession so perhaps that's where in my mind I'm not a professional actor or an actor because I haven't really pursued it as a profession. But I certainly have pursued it um, as an, a creative outlet. And I certainly am an actor. And I've really felt as as much right now as an actor as I've ever have because of the the role that I've played, the production I'm involved in, and the theater group that I am involved in. So I, I have a lot to be um, excited about and thankful for if there's opportunity. So I will talk about what I'm doing currently. And um, if you are in the Chicago area and uh, you still want to come out and see it, I'd love for you to, uh, to share this theater experience with me. But I'll give you a little background on how it all started. I've always been... I've always been interested in in entertainment, right? You know I'm a big pop culture guy. Television, movies, and um, been watching television and and watching films since I was a little kid. And I've always been uh, involved in or interested in um, performing to some extent. I mean, right now I'm performing, right? Right. I've always felt very comfortable in front of people. I've always felt comfortable public speaking, uh, giving speeches, reading in public, speaking to audiences. 
and that's why I, I got into the media and into radio as you know as decided to get into that as a career because I felt that that was something that I was good at and that I felt comfortable doing in and that people seemed to react to. Um, in the back of my mind, I always have been a performer, never an actor per se, but as I said, always in the back of my mind, kind of thought about, well, I could do that. And then as I became, uh, in my media career, I became a, a, a writer, a features writer in entertainment. And I would be, a, I would review plays and I would write about movies and review movies. And so while I never took any acting classes, I always like to say that my acting teachers were some of the best actors and actresses uh, to ever grace a stage or a TV screen or, 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 a, or a film. Because that's what I learned. I, I learned by watching these actors to see what they did and then read about their process. And, but, but I really have watched so much television and so many movies that I have seen some of the greatest actors and actresses of all time. And I have observed them in my, in my personal enjoyment of their craft and of their art in a film. And then also as a critic, I had to put my own observations and opinions into what I thought might have been good or bad. So what did I think they didn't do well, perhaps? Or what did I think they did amazingly well? So I've always said that uh, that my teachers, my acting class, has been observing people in real life and observing some of the greatest actors and actresses of all time. And learning from them. And I have certainly learned from different actors that I have worked with and directors I have worked with as they have imparted their experience and their training to me to bring out different parts of my performance. So I certainly have been exposed to the acting craft, the acting as a craft, as something to learn about. But to be honest, I have never really taken any formal acting training. And I'm not saying I'm proud or, or, or not proud of that. But I do feel that I did have some kind of natural ability. And I think that I've been able to hone that. As I said, I've, I've learned from people that I've acted with. I've learned from directors that I that have directed me and I have keenly observed what actors have done on the screen, on television, on stage. And um and tried to use some of those things that I saw. And some of those things you can't see. Some of those things are internal. But you can look at their performance and realize how they have communicated what they needed to do through their voice or their face or their posture or their gestures. And I have tried to incorporate all that. So I've been kind of a sponge in that way. The first play I ever was in was in second grade. There are two explorers in the Midwest here called Marquette and Joliet. One was Father Marquette and Joliet. And they, I believe they if I remember correctly, did they 
He did something with the Mississippi River, I believe. This is back in the many years ago. So we were doing a, a play in second grade that was supposed to be you know, educational as well. Now you can see that didn't have that great of an impact on me educationally because I really can't remember what they did. But I believe it was the Mississippi. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I played Father Marquette. See, I mean, even when I was in first or second, when I was in first grade, uh, my first grade teacher, Sister Celeste, chose me to play Santa Claus in front of for a big, uh, you know, school assembly. So I was always comfortable in front of a, a, an audience and always performed. As a young kid, as I said, uh, I grew up watching television, and one of my 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 first, I don't know, idols, if you want to say, in terms of television. Because my dad was a big fan, but we used, I used to watch the um, the reruns of the Honeymooners and still do, and know them by heart and love the Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason and and Art Carney and Audrey Meadows and Joyce Randolph and um, so a lot of my acting uh, is is kind of emulating Jackie Gleason, big personality and 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 you know gestures and. And and just doing whatever you can to make someone laugh, and um, and I certainly see the Jackie Gleason um, persona and the uh, you know the energy that he brought in some of the performances that I do. No question about that. So I've always been involved. I've always been interested in it, but I never really went to the next level. And uh, like I said, when I was like 12 years old, I really, I was, I was so into music as a young kid from seven, seven, eight, nine, even before that. And I would always listen to radio. And so I, I was listening to the radio and listening to the disc jockeys and listening to the, and that's when I got an idea that, wow, you know, they, they get to talk and they get to play music and that sounds cool. And I can do both of those. I love music and I love to talk. So why, why not try that? So that's kind of where my, my interest started to go. But in the back of my mind, I had always been, you know, performing in front of people. I always tell jokes when I'm out, you know, I'm always doing something. But I never was formally into, you know, acting. In high school, I was very active in sports. I did not, uh, you know, I did not, they had, I mean, I went to an all-boys school, so the theater group in the theater you know at the school wasn't all that well developed they used to have a a, 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 a a partnership with the with the sister school so obviously the women girls would be involved you know because every play has men and women in it right but i was too involved i was way involved in sports although i always was interested when when i saw the plays that they were doing i in the back of my mind, I always thought about, oh, I, I'd like to do, I'd like to try it out for that. But then, none of my friends did it. I was, I was, I was pretty much a jock in high school, you know, and so that was where I went, and that was the, the area that I pursued there. And I'm, and I'm certainly glad I did it because I had a great time and, and and had some some nice success in my sports career in high school. But there was always this little thing in the back of my mind, this little voice going, you know, that, uh, you could probably do that. And then I went to college, and I went to college specifically to, 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 to get experience on the radio, the college radio station, so I was very involved with the college radio station from literally the first day I got on the campus. 
I tried out and I got a shift and I was on for four years. And, and so that was where my real, um, you know, interest and, and, and energies was put, but they also had a theater there. And, uh, and there were a couple of plays. There was one play that I really was seriously thinking of auditioning for, but then once again, I, my, my schedule was such that I really didn't do it. It was a play called death trap. And the irony is, and I, and I saw it and I, I wanted to audition for it and then I didn't do it. Maybe I was insecure because I had never really acted, acted per se. I'd never gone to an audition like that before. So I maybe probably was a little intimidated, even though I'm, you know, I was 18, 19, or 20 years old. But still, it was kind of intimidating because I'm sure people at that point you know, at least had some experience in high school. I mean, you, you, everything is relative. I think back now, I probably I sh- I easily should have at least auditioned for it. Who knows what would have happened? But I was intimidated because it was an, it was an area that I, I, I wasn't really exposed to i always thought i could do it from a natural talent standpoint but i didn't really feel um confident enough because it was a whole a world that i was not familiar with and so and i wasn't i was involved with the radio station and and enjoying that and learning that and and getting a a nice little feedback from the people that listened to the radio show so i just stayed in that lane but uh, I, I still remember that. The fact that, you know, it's been, you know, more than 30 years. Uh, I still remember wanting to audition for that and, and, and regretting that I didn't. Now, there's a nice little postscript to that story, which I will, I will let you know later. Um, so I never, and then when I was in high school, in fact, uh, I, I really owe my, 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 uh, true interest in in movies to um, my English teacher's senior year was a teacher named Mr. Jack Nelson. And uh, he saw that I was interested in movies. And he really, he gave me a few books. He was my English teacher, but he gave me a few books and, 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 and got me into Alfred Hitchcock and, and, and taught me how to, to look at a film, not just watch it. Everybody watches it. And it just goes by you, but to look at it and see what's really going on. Look at at at, at what the director is is doing here. How is it lit? Uh, you know, uh, how does it look? Uh, you know, what's going on? Is it, what symbolism is going on? I never, as a young kid, when I watch a movie, I never really looked for any symbolism. But if you begin to look at a film, you start to see a lot that's going on. There's a lot of artistic touches in any film. And especially, like I said, you look at the, the films of, um, of some of the, the greatest directors of all time, like Hitchcock and others, and Orson Welles, you will see the symbolism, you will see the cinematography, you will see the shadows, you will see the lighting, you will see more than just the actors talking about words. There are other things going on there. And, 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 I, and I credit Mr. Nelson for, for giving me that insight as to how to look at it. That helped me become a critic to start to observe what's really going on here. One of the greatest things he taught me and, 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 and showed me was, um, the, if, if you ever see the film Cool Hand Luke with, uh, with Paul Newman. Now, I'd seen that film several times, even by the time I was in high school. And it was a, it was a good film. It was a fun film, cool film. Paul Newman was very cool. 
as Cool Hand Luke, right? It's in the title. <laughs> the word's in the title. But suddenly, I, Mr. Nelson gave me a whole different perspective to watch it. And he said, you know, in this movie, and if you never know what it's about, I mean, Cool Hand Luke is a, um, he's a convict. He's in a, in a chain gang kind of prison. He's very low-key. He comes in, and there's already an established group of men that have been there for years, and he sort of comes in and, and slowly gains their respect and slowly becomes someone that they want to follow. But he does it in a very low-key way. That's why he's got a cool hand. He does, he's, not, he's not one of these big, robust, he does it, things very subtly, just by example, just because he is cool. And um, and so I, 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 I've, I saw the film several times before that, but then Mr. Nelson told me, well, you know, in this film, Paul Newman is a Christ figure. And I, you know, I mean, I'm 17, 18 years old. I'm not even thinking of that. I'm like, what? What? What are you talking about? This is a movie about a guy who's a convict. How? I mean, we're, this is not a religious movie. This isn't the Ten Commandments. And he's like, no, no, you have to understand that there's, just because it's not a religious movie doesn't mean you can't have symbolism of other things. And he explained to me and showed me, and then when I saw the film, it became very obvious that, yeah, that the way Paul Newman's character came into this group and the way that, that the other established people followed him and and and... And the way he became a role model to them was very Christ-like. And how he, in its own way, he sacrificed himself for the group, which once again is the whole story of Christ, right? And in fact, there's one scene, famous scene in the film of Cool Hand Luke, where he uh, he bets someone else, he bets them, he bets you know the guys in the you know, in the, in the barracks in their chain gang prison, that he could eat 50 hard-boiled eggs. And so this becomes a big thing, you know, within within their group that, you know, betting on can Luke eat 50 hard-boiled eggs? And people say, that's impossible, he'll never do it. And so, And so, of course, he does it. And everybody, there's some that, that, that are rooting for him and some aren't. And, you know, Paul Newman is Cool Hand Luke, and he's laying down on this, on, this, um, on this table. And now he's getting down to the very end of the 48th and 49th and 50th egg, and they're you know, putting him in his mouth, and they're massaging his stomach, and he's just laying down so he can open up his diaphragm and his stomach as much as possible to get this, this 50th egg in, and they're, they're mashing it in his in his mouth and they're helping him chew it and everything and and he does it and as soon as he does it everybody is cheers you know if they they you know yay and then they and everybody just clears out as soon as it's done rather than is he okay physically you can see he's sweating you know i mean you know he just ate these 50 eggs and no one really cares about his well-being they're just now once once the 50th egg is done Everybody just gets up and walks away, whether they were on his side or not. And they just go about their business because now, okay, it's done. And there's this great shot of Paul Newman as Cool Hand Luke 
after he's eaten the 50th egg, after he has sacrificed himself, if you will, for this group, his physical well-being to eat these 50 eggs, where he has sacrificed himself for them, he's laying on this table and he's laying with his arms outstretched and his legs crossed just like Jesus on the cross. And there's no signs that say, watch this, look at this, but there's just this shot of him. And that's supposed to invoke in you how Cool Hand Luke is a Christ figure in this entire movie. And this act is one of those examples. And there he is, like he is Jesus on the cross. Okay, now I saw that movie several times. I never picked that up. But that's what Mr. Nelson changed my entire perspective on how to watch a movie and look for these different things from now on. Totally changed the way I, I, I watched films, or I should say looked at films from then on. And looked at how actors were acting and what directors were doing and how there were subtexts and layers of different references and different symbolisms. It wasn't just the story that was happening. There was the story and then there were other layers of things going on as well that really made films compelling and captivating and interesting to watch and enjoy. So, as I said, I, I've, I've gone to school. I've gone to acting school by watching a lot of actors on stage, in films, and in television. When I was in eighth grade, when I was in, a senior, in fact, in Mr. Nelson's class, he had us make a movie. And I had just been watching The, the Godfather. It was just on television for the first time. And uh, so I sort of wrote and acted and directed, whatever that means. We, as a project, a bunch of kids and you know, a bunch of guys in my class, I came up with this idea of a story and, uh, and you know, sort of directed it and acted in it. And, uh, and we got an A on it, which was cool. And, uh, and so I never acted before, but I certainly was acting in that. I was doing my impersonation of Marlon Brando as the Godfather and John Belushi as the Blues Brothers and a, and a bunch of stuff like that. So as I said, I, you know, this is just, it's, I, 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 when I was like seven or eight years old, I got a tape recorder for a Christmas present. The first thing I did was I, I, I recorded myself doing impersonations of, you know, Louis Armstrong. I see cheese are green, red roses too. I was doing that since I was eight years old. Um, so I've always been performing like that, but never, but never in a concentrated official way. And the funny thing is we'd made this film, this project, uh, senior year at one of my friend's house and I'm still friends with him. In fact, I'm his son's godfather. So I, we go way back. And um, so I have pursued, I have had many, uh, my career has been very, you know, has been very diverse in the media. I've been, and I talked about this before, I've done, you know, I've been a magazine and newspaper editor and writer and columnist and obviously done radio and I've written feature stories and, um, I've worked in radio. I did a little work on, in television behind the scenes producing. 
So I've done a lot of different things in the media. Um, then I got into public relations, which is still media-based career. Um, and so about 20 years, almost 20 years ago, I was at a, some kind of a party or picnic or something. And I hadn't seen my friend's mother in quite a few years. And so, uh, but she was at this event. And she was at the house when we were filming this thing back when we were in high school, this movie I was telling you about, that we made as a school project. Actually, the, the title of it was called Revenge is Sweet. Never forget that. I still have a copy of it. <laughs> my God, we filmed it on this video cassette recorder, you know, like camera, which was like you know, 40 pounds. Now, when you look back, I mean, now, my gosh, what you can do on it, you can make full films on your phone. And this thing was, you know, my, my friend's brother, was interested in video and and, and, and and being a cameraman and stuff. And so they had this video camera, but it was huge back then. You think about the way technology has changed. But so we were at their house. We filmed it over, you know, maybe three or four or five days at their house in their basement and outside their house because he had the camera. <laughs> so he had to film it there. So his mom was obviously watching what we were doing on and off. And we showed them the finished product. So it was very interesting. I hadn't seen her in a few years. And uh, so she said, oh, Jim, I always got along very well with her. And I said, uh, she said, so uh, what are you up to now? What are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, at that time, I think I was doing public relations. And, uh, and she said, I mean, it, just, it, it seemed like it was just a little random thought. She, you know, well, she wasn't looking to change my life in any way. Just an observation. Um, and she said, I always thought you'd be a great actor. And I, it, 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 I, was, I was shocked. I was flattered. I was perplexed because, as I said to you before, in the back of my mind, I always thought I, I, could, I could be an actor. I mean, I could, I could act. But for her to have made that comment and, and, to, and, and, and made it, you know, like, oh, I like she always believed that. And to hear someone else, you know, you're in your, you say, you know, in your own mind, you think you could do something well, but when someone else validates that it, 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 you sort of realize, okay, well maybe I, I, I can do something like that. And I'm sure that she made this comment without any, you know, uh, idea that it, that it was going to be profound. Right, she just made a little observation. Oh well, I always thought you'd be a great actor. Almost like, geez, you should have pursued that. She didn't say it in a bad way. It was a compliment. Um, but you know, so I, oh yeah, well, <laughs> you know, but that stayed with me. It stayed with me, and this was like in July. It was a summer picnic. And I could not get that out of my mind that my friend's mom, 20 years later, after we made this thing in high school, says to me, I always thought you'd be a great actor. And so in my mind, it was something that I always had wondered about, but I'd never pursued in any way, you know, formally. As I said, I've performed on stages in front of people, but never in a formal acting kind of thing. I've, I've, I've 
performed my whole life. I think I can honestly say that, but I never performed in that way with a structure, with a, you know, with a script and a play and, and the whole thing like that. Never did that. But I was kind of like, well, you know, I, I wonder if I really could do that. And the fact that she said that, it, it, it really motivated me. And so that was around July. And in September of that same year, a couple months later, I said, you know, I'm going to see if there's any plays around, you know, amateur plays. I'm just going to, I'm going to see, I'm going to audition for a play and just see if I can even do this for the heck of it. Why not? Right. And there was a production coming up for the Christmas time of a Christmas carol at a theater group, amateur theater group in Wheaton, Illinois called Wheaton Drama. And, um, and so I said, well, you know what? I know the Christmas. I'm going to do a play. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go audition for a play that I, that at least I know. And I could, and I think that I know the characters. And so, um, you know, I got the script and they told you what to prepare, but I went there without knowing anyone at all, just showed up and, and did it. And lo and behold, I got cast and I got cast in one of the lead roles. And I, immediate i was so i was it was i was shocked but i was also very um enthused and and uh and motivated to to do this and i and even at from the first rehearsal i felt very comfortable in the surroundings being surrounded by this in this creative collaborative atmosphere i felt very comfortable, just like I have done when I got behind a microphone in a radio station. It felt like this is, this is, I was in my element and I did a good job and people reacted and they were saying how, how good I did in the play. And, and I just, I got the bug and I continued to audition for shows and get lead roles and uh you know almost 20 years later here we are now interestingly enough about well how many about 13 years ago now the play death trap was being produced at a theater in Arlington Heights called the Metropolis Performing Arts Theater professional theater and I was like, my, so now I'm, you know, I've done several plays at this time. I'm feeling comfortable and, and confident in my abilities. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, here's Death Trap again. How ironic is this? I, I regretted not auditioning for the production of Death Trap in college. And here's Death Trap again. And so I went to the audition and I thought I did well. I didn't get it. I was disappointed, but at least I knew that I had auditioned for it. And, you know, that's rejection. And acting rejection is part of the job. And, um, but it did, it did, it did nag at me because I thought I did, I thought I did a good uh, audition and I, and I really wanted 
to be in that play. I always liked, there was a movie with Michael Caine and, and um, a movie version of the play with Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. If you ever saw it, it's called Death Trap. Find it. It's, 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 it's a great murder mystery. Nice twists. And I always wanted to play the Michael Caine character. And uh, so it was still, even the, like two months after the audition and I didn't get it, it still weighed on me. And this is what talk about coincidences. On my birthday, which is January 8th, I get a call from the theater. And this was it's still in the back of my mind. I was still thinking about, geez, I, you know, I wonder how that, that play is going to be. I, I still, I, geez, I would have loved to have done that show. And I get a call, and they say, the Sydney, the actor who was playing Sydney, the role that I wanted, the one that I auditioned for, has dropped out of the show, and we'd like to offer you the role. <laughs> two weeks before the opening, two weeks before the opening, well, maybe two and a half, almost three, but still, it's a huge role. The play is almost three hours. Sydney's on stage almost the whole time. There's a lot of different kinds of stunts and, and, and fights and stranglings and shootings that you have to learn that stuff as well as your lines and all the blocking, and they had already been... And, and this production had already been rehearsing for a month and a half. And I was going to walk in, but I didn't want to. I, I, I couldn't turn this opportunity down. I wanted that role. I was just thinking about it that day on my birthday. What a birthday present that was. And it was this weird connection back to the production I didn't audition for in college. And so I did it. And uh, it went very well, and I'm very proud of that. And it was like, wow, how crazy was that? Once again, long before I was ever thinking of acting, my wife and I, on our honeymoon, we went to London and um, went to see this musical called The Buddy Holly Story, Buddy. And I'm just a big Buddy Holly fan, so we were there. We went to see it on the West End. And in the play... You know, it tells the story of Buddy Holly's rise and his sad, tragic death in the plane crash with uh, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. And I've always enjoyed the Big Bopper song, Chantilly Lace. You know, hello, baby. Now, once again, the, I was not acting at all. I had no thoughts at all. This was 10 years before, more than 10 years before I even started with my, my friend's mother made this comment. So this, I'm not even thinking in any way, shape, or form that I'm going to act in some in any way. But I do remember, as I said, this was always floating in the back of my mind. I always considered myself something of a performer. When I remember seeing that play, that musical, the Buddy Holly story, Buddy, it's called, I remember seeing the role of the Big Bopper and the actor who played the Big Bopper, you know, on the West End in London, and I said to myself, I can totally do that role. I could be the big bopper there. I know I can sing that song. I know I can I can I could do better than that guy did. <laughs> Maybe it's my own arrogance, my own hyperconfidence, I don't know. But then ironically, and sometimes you have to wonder what well, how many of these coincidences can you can you can you keep saying ironically? But let me see. Um 17 years later. 17 years later. I played the Big Bopper 
in the Buddy Holly story, in Buddy, and actually got some really good reviews in the Chicago Tribune. And we had a two-month run at the Mercury Theater in Chicago, as well as a first in, in, in a theater in Oak Park. And uh, the idea that I would have thought that I could have played that role when I wasn't even thinking about acting, and then later on I played that role. Flash forward, one of my favorite performances um, and portrayals was in a production of Amadeus. You have heard of the film uh, about Mozart. F. Murray Abraham won the Academy Award for his portrayal of, of Antonio Salieri in the in the film version of Amadeus. And I remember seeing that film and being blown away by the film and and once again seeing the Salieri character and saying, wow, what a, I, I would love to be able to play that role. I saw that film many years long before I was ever an actor, but I was always taken by F. Murray Abraham's portrayal. Never said, I, now on that one, I never said to myself, geez, I think I could play that role. I never really was thinking that way, but I was always, I was always uh, attracted to that. And I, I saw the film several times just because of F. Murray Abraham's portrayal of Solieri in that film. And so a production came up at a theater in St. Charles, Illinois, called the Steel Beam Theater. And I auditioned for it, and I got the role. And once again, it was like, wow. And I, I, I love that role so much. And it was one of, it's one of my favorite ones. And once again, I got very good reviews in the, in the, in the press for that. And uh, and people came up to me and and said how how much they enjoyed my performance, so I've always had a, a, a special soft spot for that. And um, the founder of that theater came up to me, and she said, "You know what? You know what are your dream roles? Make a list of the roles that you would really want to play." You know, and so I made up this list. It was about ten different roles, and I sent it to her, and I kept that email and now that at this time now that email is what 17 years old but i always i I still kept it and i'm proud to say that since i wrote that list in 2005 i believe 2006 maybe uh out of those 10 roles I have played four or five of them now. So I've been very fortunate to have been able to play some of the roles I've always wanted to play. First, as I was first appealed to me as an audience member, I was taken by them just watching them as without ever thinking of being an actor, but just moved by them as an audience member, having either seen them on stage or in films. And then when I started to act, saying, oh, well, you know, I was so moved by that, I would love to try and be that and play that role. And those include uh, Richard Roma from Glengarry Glen Ross, Sidney Bruhl from Death Trap, Antonio, Antonio Salieri in Amadeus, and ironically, here's that word again, the role that I am playing right now in the play by Edward Albee called Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? It's a play that came out. It was uh, on Broadway in the 60s. It won the uh, Tony Award 
1966, it was then made into a film version directed by Mike Nichols, starring Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor and George Siegel and Sandy Dennis. Only four people in it. And uh, all four of those people got nominated for Academy Awards. Elizabeth Taylor and Sandy Dennis both won the Academy Awards for Best Actress and Supporting Actress. Elizabeth Taylor for Best Actress. Burton and Siegel didn't win, but they were nominated. And I've seen the film several times. It's a complex, intense, emotionally uh, just roller coaster of emotions. It's about two couples, an older couple and a younger couple, each come together uh, in late night, kind of a drunken little get together in the older couple's house. And there's there's jealousy and there's sex and there's betrayal and there's um, anger and there's comedy. It's every emotion you could think of is in this play. This play won, as I said before, the Tony. I believe it even won the Pulitzer Prize for Edward Albee. It's a not an easy play to watch. It's a long play. It's over three hours. Um, most recently, it was on Broadway. Um, it was here in Chicago. In, uh, in Steppenwolf did a production that, that wound up uh, winning uh, the Tony for Best Revival with Tracy Letts, who won the Tony Award for his portrayal of George, the same character that um, that Richard Burton played. And Bill Irwin also won a Tony in another revival in 2005 that also co-starred Catherine T- Kathleen Turner. So it's a great, it's, it, it's a, it, the, the, the role of George, of which I am playing, is, is there. It's, there's a lot to get, sink your teeth in, but it is a challenging role. It, you are, I mean, the, the amount of lines is, is the most that I've ever had in a play. And, uh, and, and the way it's written, very specific in, in monologues as well as the way the character develops and the highs and the lows. And it's just, it's very challenging. It's challenging for the audience as well as the actors. But it is a fulfilling experience, I think, for both the audience and the actors. I certainly know from an acting standpoint it is. And um, George was on that list that I made out several years ago. George from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. So I got to check another one off there. So let me tell you how this coincidence goes, because this one is really even, of, of those other ones I told you about, this one is even crazier. Now, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is, is, is not done very often because it is a very difficult play uh, in many aspects. Um, it's, a long, it's a long show. It's three hours, and a lot of times you, you know, audiences aren't ready to be prepared to to sit and watch a play for three hours, especially in today's world, with we have such uh, short attention spans. And plus, it is emotionally draining. The people that have come to see our production, uh, when it's done, they were like, oh my gosh, I'm still, you know. <sighs> they, they are exhausted. So it's one of those, but that's what, that's what good theater does. It makes you feel, it makes you think, it, it, it makes you react. And I think we're doing a good job of doing that. I know that I'm exhausted mentally and physically when I'm done with this show after three plus hours, but it's good to know that the audience is too, because that means we're doing our job. So I always had 
wanted to play that role, but never, you know, the play is seldomly done. It's not an easy play to do. And you have to find just the right kind of actors to do it because the casting is everything. There's only four, play, only four people in the whole play for three hours. They have to keep your attention. And it's in one set. There's no, no helicopters come down like Miss Saigon. No chandeliers fall like uh, Phantom of the Opera. This is just four people talking and reacting to each other for three hours. So it's, it's a unique show. So you have to have the right cast. They have to have a good chemistry in order to keep people's attention and keep them interested in what's going on here because it is a, it is a wide array of emotions and events that happen within this play. And it's compelling and captivating and it's, uh, it's, it's all there if you are willing to take the ride, both as an actor and as an audience member. So it's always been in the back of my mind. I'd love to play George from Virginia Woolf. But as I said before, the play is is not produced all that often, so I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to do it. So with COVID, obviously, over the last couple of years, you know, the theater basically shut down of any kind, whether it was professional or amateur. And then at the beginning of this year in 2022, as more vaccines and boosters were available and... um, you know, theaters start to open with more protocols for the audience and things and and for the actors. And so in February, a director that I had worked on had asked me to do a a play that that he was doing that someone dropped out. And he asked me to, if I would be interested in it. And I didn't really feel that I was right for it. And so I declined. But this director had recently... You know, over Zoom, a lot of theaters to just to keep their their names out there during the the pandemic of twenty you know twenty and twenty twenty one. They were a lot of theater groups were doing Zoom performances that you could see online just to keep actors. You know, the people were were just dying to act, right? So a lot of productions were done on Zoom, and uh, and he had directed a one act play by Edward Albee, who wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And I've done some shows with this director. Most recently, we did The Crucible, which was very well received. And I actually got a a nice little um, award from the Illinois Theater Group um, for my portrayal of Mr. Danforth in in The Crucible back in 2019. And um, so he asked me, to do this play and I and I didn't think I was right for it so I declined and and I was we were going back and forth with emails and so finally as just a, a kind of off the cuff comment as I was sort of you know saying goodbye in this email I said oh and by the way I know that you just directed a, an Edward Albee one act play uh, recently and just if you so if you've ever decided to do who's afraid of Virginia Woolf keep me in mind for George and it was just like kind of this off-cuff remark. Came out of nowhere. Right at the last second, I just thought about it and threw it in there just as a nice little joke type of thing. And didn't think twice about it. About three weeks later, I went on this website where they have auditions here in Chicago, and I see that 
a group called the Invictus Theater in Chicago is going to be holding auditions for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is literally two or three weeks later after I wrote this this little comment about Virginia Woolf. The the odds of anybody doing this, this play hasn't been done in in many years. It's seldomly done. I just make this Virginia Woolf reference completely out of the blue, and now here is a production with an audition possibility. I never had heard of this group, but I said to myself, I, I have to at least audition. At the very least, I'll be able to do, a, a, if I never get to play George, at least I'll be able to have done a scene at, at this audition as George. Whether they like it or not, I don't know, but at least I'll be able to do it. And, and, and they, you had to first submit your information before they would even grant you an audition. So it wasn't just an open audition. They first were like screening people. So I figured, well, my chances are, are pretty bleak. I didn't know any of the people there, and you know who knows. But I said, well, I'm going to still submit it anyway. So I did. And then about a week went by, I didn't hear anything, so I assumed that I didn't even make the cut to even be, a, you know, to get an audition. And once again, as I said before, if you're going to get into this acting business, realize rejection is part of the job. But then suddenly I got an email, and they were inviting me for an audition. So I went to the audition, and I got to prepare a couple of scenes as George. And I thought they did. I went. They went well. And then I got a call back to come back for a second round of auditions. And then I auditioned with this woman named Andrea Upling to be Martha, and we had a really good chemistry. And about two weeks later, I was offered the role of George in. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I, I it was I, I I couldn't even believe it. I made this off the cuff comment, you know, like f- a month before, pulled pulled this out of a hat. Virginia, Woolf, I mean, who was even thinking of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And now suddenly I had the lead role. It was crazy. As well, I had just finished a production, and I was emailing with a with a a friend who is an actress and and I'm and I have great respect for her and I was just asking her questions I said I really like to to get involved in a production and and with a group that I could really learn from and and challenge myself and and really uh you know take things to another level because I I I I you know I really like to 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 expand my acting abilities and i'd really like to to get involved with with in a collaborative effort uh with people that are very serious and who i could learn from and collaborate with and 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 be proud of what i'm doing and that was in february as well and she gave me some you know yeah well look into this but you know but you know there's what are you gonna do but i was just kind of i guess i was just looking for some kind of way to just vent my frustrations like geez i would love to be involved in this i've enjoyed all of my acting experiences but i just really wanted to, to test myself and, and and go to another level i wanted i wanted to to get better and work with better people you know that that, that might be able to teach me because i didn't have that teaching not better people that i haven't worked with good people i'm just saying is i like i wanted to improve i wanted to to take things to another level and i and and, and maybe learn from people who have had 
real training and real experience like that on a more focused level. And all I can say is that I, 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 now, now this is what I'm telling you before about, you know, people say, well, put this out in the universe and the universe will answer you. Now, okay, I was, I just sent out these emails to people. I don't know if the universe reacts to emails or not, but in this case, they seem to, because within this three week period, I made this, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf comment statement. And then I made the statement about I'd love to work with this collaborative, um, you know, uh, creative group of people in on in, in a project that would help me elevate my abilities and, my, and help me learn. And and I was in that because that's what happened with this production. Every, it checked every box in that email that I sent to this actress friend of mine. Everything I was hoping or I wanted to do next happened in this next thing with, with within this production it checked every box that i was hoping to do and and i am i really do believe that my acting ability and my knowledge and my experience and the collab creative collaboration everything involved in this i've just it's been it's helped me to get better and elevated me and i've learned from the people that i'm working with the director and my fellow actors keenan odenkirk and um, and rachel livingston and and andrea um upling I have learned from them. They have made me better. Our our director, Charles Askenizer, um, has made me better. He's challenged me, um, and uh, and he has taught me, and he's created this uh, this creative collaborative atmosphere, and we have a great chemistry. And that's everybody who's seen the show said, "Wow, this cast!" And we we have wound up. Gotten, we've gotten great reviews, four five star reviews. Four, if it's four, if four is the top, we've gotten four. We've been Jeff recommended in in the Chicago area. Uh, the Jeff uh, committee is similar to the Tony Awards on Broadway, which is like the Oscars of the movies. We have been Jeff recommended, and hopefully, who knows? Uh, they the Jeff give out awards, and I would I would keeping my fingers crossed that our show gets nominated for a show because I'm so proud of it and everybody who has seen it. And as I said, the reviewers, we've gotten four and five star reviews from people. And my performance has been, has been, um, has been, you know, uh, singled out. The highest compliment that I've been able to get that I am so humbled and touched by is more than one of the reviewers have, have compared me to Richard Burton's performance, which was Oscar nominated. So I don't even know what to say about that. Um, you know, Richard Burton, one of the greatest actors of all time. So this has been so fulfilling personally and professionally. It has uh, fulfilled and checked the boxes of what I wanted from an acting experience, from a learning experience, from a personal experience, from uh, from a from a a project to to challenge me and test me and make me better. Everything I could have wanted. And now that it's been on stage for three weeks, audiences uh, and people that I, you know, that not just friends. I mean, friends have come and have been very complimentary, but people I don't even know have said, wow, what a great job you're doing. And I know I'm doing a great job. If I am, it's because I am so 
invested in this. And it's been so fulfilling for me. And so uh, I do have to thank Rosemarie Minogue for almost 20 years ago making her comment to me. I always thought you'd be a great actor because I, I can honestly say if it was for my friend's mom almost 20 years ago making that comment to me, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. I would not be acting, and I certainly wouldn't be in this production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and feeling so um, fulfilled and, um, and satisfied and proud to be a part of this. So as I said, if, um, if you want to see it, you can still come out and see it. It's at the Invictus Theater. It's at 1106, 1106 Thorndale in Chicago. It's a small uh, storefront theater. You can go to Invictus Theater Company. I think it's InvictusTheaterCo.com is the website to get tickets. But if not, I just thought I would share something that I am so proud of and excited to be doing. And I've made a lifetime memory right now. I will always remember this role and this experience. And so I wanted to share that with you. And I can only hope that there are things in your life that you have worked hard for or tried to make a reality and you have experienced those too. Because as you know, if you have, it, 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 it is an experience that you never forget. And I don't know if the, the universe is listening to me or responding to me. I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't know if coincidences are real or not. But I certainly have. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to get out there and tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell anybody that you know who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 315. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.